Hey, I'm Jason Gray. Hey, this is Sarah Gross. Hey, I'm Andrew Osinga. Hi, this is Michael Carr. Hey, this is Andrew Peterson, and you're listening to Voices in My Head. And this is me, so let's have some exciting music. Who is me, you ask? Well, me is Rick Lee James, and this is my podcast, Voices in My Head. We've got a great show for you this week, so stay tuned. My guest today on the Voices in My Head podcast is Joshua Broward. Along with Thomas J. Ord, he is the co-editor and compiler of a new book called Renovating Holiness, which releases January 17th and can be pre-ordered at renovatingholiness.com. Younger leaders around the world are approaching holiness with new eyes, new vision, and a burning passion to help the church engage the mission of our holy God. Renovating Holiness brings together the stories of a hundred plus leaders from more than 30 nations to point towards the continuing movement of God's Spirit in a new world, offering their thoughts on how the Church of the Nazarene can rethink its history, its doctrine, and its practices to be more effective in the 21st century. I am privileged to be one of the contributors to this book today, and it has been a pleasure for me to correspond with today's guest in that process. It is an honor to have Joshua Broward as my guest today on the Voices in My Head podcast. So welcome, Josh. Yeah, thanks, Rick. Thanks for letting me into your head. Yeah, it's it's a scary place, but I'm, I'm glad you're there for sure. <laughs> Hey, um, we actually, uh, listeners won't know this, but we tried to record earlier this morning, and I had some technical difficulties, and so uh, we we had a short conversation, uh, but then we ha- I said we have to come back and do this later if we can, because the recorder is not working right, and in the meantime, while I was getting my computer straightened out, you actually had uh, physical copies of this book, Renovating Holiness, delivered today, ready to, and you're ready just about to ship them out to contributors and pre-order uh, pre-orders that have come in. So, uh, congratulations on that. I, I was glad to get to see a copy over Skype of the first book. Thanks, man. We're we're really excited, and uh, it's it's an honor to be part of this. Uh, Tom and I were talking yesterday. Uh, as far as we know. This is the single most diverse book that's ever been created with the Church of the Nazarene. Wow. That is fantastic. Uh, I have been enjoying reading my advanced copy, and I know several of my friends who have also contributed to this book have, have really been very blessed and filled with hope at reading a lot of this. And um, I was wondering, I, you actually wrote a tremendous introduction to this book. I thought it was, was really great. And I wonder if, I mean, if you can remember, if you're like me, sometimes you write things and time goes by and you can't remember exactly what it was you wrote. But So I'm putting you on the spot just a little bit. But I'm wondering if you could uh, tell us just a little bit about some of the good stuff you wrote in the preface about like renovating a house and how that kind of applies to holiness. Yeah, well, Tom came up with the the title "Renovating Holiness," and and that got me thinking about uh, other other aspects of renovation. And it it occurred to me that basically what we have is we. We younger leaders in the Church of the Nazarene have inherited the house, the theological house of our grandparents. And and they did a great job building the house. Uh, it has really strong bones. We, we have, uh, most of our younger leaders are, are huge supporters of Wesley. Uh, we're, we're huge supporters of our tradition of compassionate engagement, of uh, not just a church for the poor, but a church of the poor, where we all engage equally, where where we we are thoroughly committed to God's mission of bringing healing to every corner of the world, mm. and engaging that we uh, we love our house, we love our theological house. On the other hand, we if just if you just imagined if you had to today live in your grandparents' house. Um, and some grandparents are a little more progressive than others, but uh, imagine that you, your grandparents were some of those people who hadn't changed their house much in the past 30 or 40 or 50 years. <laughs> uh, you, might, you might need to do some renovation in the house. Uh, sure. The dining room, living room, all of that stuff might be a little too small, a little too cramped. Uh, there may be some, 
some air leaks, maybe even some water leaks in some places. Uh, the you might not need at the back door one of those big sinks uh, to wash off the farm dirt before you come into the house. You know that just may not be how you operate, uh, especially because the farm may not even be there anymore. You know, it may be a subdivision, and uh, so if you inherited your grandparents' house and had to live in it, you would do a lot of change. And that's not to say that you don't you didn't like your grandparents' house. It's not to say you didn't like your grandparents or you didn't like the work that they did on the house. It's just to say, if, if you're going to make their house your own house, you have to bring it into the 21st century. Right. Yeah. And so, so that's what, uh, what this project is all about. How do we honor the good work that our forefathers and, and foremothers have done developing the Church of the Nazarene and yet still bring it into the 21st century? Uh, We've had a hard time with this over the past couple of decades, and the voices for change have have not received a warm reception in the denomination at large. Uh, there's a lot of fear that uh, we're going to come in with a wrecking ball and just tear down the whole house. Hmm. Uh, but really, the the basic premise of the Renovating Holiness Project is we like the house. Yeah. We want to keep the house. Mm-hmm. We just want to make it something that will will fit for our family today. We want our kids to like the house too. Mm-hmm. And so when we have this this choice of uh, we, we, we have these three choices. We can stay in the house without changing anything and be frustrated and uncomfortable, recognizing that our kids are going to be even more uncomfortable and frustrated. Or we can leave the house and say, thanks for the nice gift, Grandpa, Grandma, but uh, we'd rather not have it. We, mm-hmm. we'll, just, we'll just go live in a, you know, a, a brownstone in, in, in the gentrification, regentrification in downtown. Right. Or we can say, thanks, let's, now let's, uh, let's take what you've done and make it fit today. Uh, let's let's add some and and maybe take away a few things that that are uh, that are not working as well and and put put our layer of investment into the house and into the structure and and that's really what the contributors of the renovating holiness project are doing it is adding our layer of renovation in the two thousand or really you know five six thousand year old story of God's work in the world. Sure. Well, that's, that was just such a wonderful way to put it because I know personally I, I don't want to abandon ship or abandon the house, so to speak. But there are times that I felt like, man, is there is there any other choice? Because it seems like the, the certain roads uh, we're going down are, are just like they don't feel like roads I can travel down. Some of the, the maybe myths and misconceptions about holiness that have been passed on through the years, um, some of them – uh, some of the the teachings about holiness are, have been right on point and have been great. Some of them have been um, a little more, uh, I, I would say, false to the gospel, you know, at times. And um, it's interesting, I was having a, a conversation yesterday uh, with one of our pastors at church, and I said, isn't it interesting that um, it seems like our God is so creative and Almost nobody has the same story when it comes to their conversion. Um, like we, we all have this example. Some people, it's like they were in a bar and God spoke to them something, or some person was in front of a TV. I mean, almost never do I hear, although it does happen, but almost never it seems like that I just hear this plain story. Well, I was sitting in church and God convicted me. So often I hear more like burning bush stories you know somebody was out somewhere and god found them and 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 just came to them and 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 we we're very open to that kind of unique experience when it comes to god saving a person and coming you know really revealing himself but when it comes to the way we've talked about holiness in the nazarene church it's as if we've said there's only one way it's possible to have a second work of grace and it has to happen exactly like this and if it doesn't happen like this it's not of god and I just think that's that's so interesting that we've we've so made that something that that has to be, even though what we know about God doesn't seem to work like that. You know <laughs> how creative He is and and the unique experiences that He has in everyone's life. 
And all that is to say, I, I think I'm seeing that in some of the writing that I'm reading from the different authors in this book and different things. I mean, the book starts right off with a, a, a section, as you know, um, on frustrations that people have had yeah. um, with the Nazarene Church and some of the things that they've been taught about holiness. And try as they may, I'm, I'm really reading this in, in their essays about, like, I tried and tried I, I, to have this experience I was supposed to have, and it needed to look this way or else it wasn't genuine, but I just wasn't getting it. And, uh, and I wonder if you could, could maybe talk, uh, maybe we could just talk a little bit about the sections of, of the book, and maybe starting with that, and I, I don't know if that's, that's too broad of a thing to talk about in a few minutes, but could we just kind of talk about sort of the, the table of contents, so to speak, that this book has to offer, starting with that frustrations part? Well, the frustrations are, I, they're, they're a little diverse in themselves, and in some ways they're, they're coming at it from different angles. Uh, you've got uh, the beautiful essay, uh, the first the first one in the book after my introduction by Sherry Walker, where she's talking about how do we even uh, talk about entire sanctification to youth? Uh, you know, they many of them have grown up in the church, and and it's not like they've had this uh, whole life of experience. They're, they're still trying to figure out who they are. Right. How do what does what does surrender mean to them? And 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 how do we do? How do we engage this? And how do we do it without inducing a lot of guilt? And and her uh, her t- title is fantastic. The the guilt ridden sanctified, huh. which is so so emblematic of uh, so many of our stories growing up in the Church of the Nazarene. I know I at one revival in particular when I was a teenager, I just I just went down to the altar every single night trying to get and then you, know, you can see the air quotes here trying to get it yeah the thing that would make me different that this guy was talking about and uh, finally one of the local pastors I have no idea who he was he wasn't from my church or, or close by uh, but he said and there's there's not really an it that you're supposed to get it's it's just a daily uh, a daily commitment of your life to God and asking God to take you today and and do with you today whatever he will. Sure. And and that was so simple. I was just like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I can do that. Hmm. And I haven't succeeded with that, you know, my track record, you know, is not a not an A plus, you know, for the last 20 however many years since then, but that concept has just really worked for me. And so I think a lot of the Essayists in the frustration section are dealing with that kind of issue from one angle or another. Hmm. This is the way it was preached, or this is the way it was taught to to me or to my people, and it didn't really work for us because this. Yeah. Uh, and then you have uh, a beautiful essay uh, by Caswald Jamat from Barbados, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> with the probably the most old-school title of the whole book, Entire Sanctification, A Smoldering Wick? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know he preaches from the King James. Exactly, right. (laughs) And so he's coming at it from a totally different perspective. But what one of the things that he says that's just tremendous is, and I think you, uh, maybe it was, uh, oh, it was in one of the discussion questions uh, that, that's going to come out for, uh, we have a small group discussion guide mm, nice. that uh, several of the contributors are developing. And uh, his quote is, we just have to face the fact that most people in the Church of the Nazarene, uh, neither they don't understand entire sanctification and aren't particularly trying to experience it. Hmm. Wow. I mean, holy cow. Yeah. If, if that's true, and I think it is, we have totally missed the boat in in our teaching. Right. What are like either what we're teaching is not real and that's why people aren't getting it or the way we're teaching it is totally missing our people hmm. or both you know is some combination of the two of those yeah oh. so i i think that's where the frustration that's a that's kind of it's this combination of what we're hearing isn't working and therefore our people are not really believing our said doctrine anymore, our official doctrine. Right, and and I think we could go a lot of a lot of places with that, but I I think one one way that we've kind of missed the boat in a huge way, and it and it comes out again and again as I'm reading these essays, 
and I kind of read it with a lot of hope, and I go, at last, people are saying this, you know, and it's it's getting a voice. Um, but I, I feel like we have so missed the communal dimension of what holiness is, and because we've made it so uh, individualistic and so personal-driven that we've forgotten that, you know, the, the great saying from Wesley of there is no holiness apart from social holiness. And the, the very thing that kind of formed us in the first place that we were to be, in a sense, to, to steal an old hymn phrase to, to rescue the perishing, um, the whole idea that, um, that the communal side of it was so important. And, uh, and I guess that kind of moves us along. There's a, the next section of the book. Uh, and maybe, if you don't mind, I'm just going to read the sections real fast, and maybe we can comment, and maybe I can actually uh, read a few short snippets from different essays through the book, if that's all right with you, sure. uh, just for sake of time. But uh, the first section is on uh, frustrations. The next section of the book is on history. Uh, then we have a section on context, and then there's a section on reaching millennials, and then there's a section on engaging culture, uh, followed by biblical themes, both Old Testament and New Testament, and then there's theological themes, practice uh, on psychology, on sociology, on discipleship, on community, on corporate worship, new metaphors, looking forward and afterwards. So this is a, a rich, uh, thick book. I mean, it's it's something that has has so many people from so many different walks of life um, that are talking about not just one area of the conversation, but I, I at first I thought, wow, a book on holiness by all these different people, it's just going to start repeating after a while. And as I'm reading it, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, everything in here, I mean, even though it's on the same topic, because there are so many diverse writers, everything seems so fresh and different and so many different wonderful perspectives that I had never even thought about for the most part before. So um, all that is to say, well done. I, I can't imagine the task it must have been editing this and, and kind of pulling it all together. And uh, even for myself, I'm, I think I sent in two or three drafts or something like that in the process just trying to figure out exactly what needed to be done. And that's a huge undertaking. So I, I, I congratulate uh, both of you, you and Thomas both, on, on this task. But uh, what a great Thanks. idea. What a great endeavor. So uh, well, It was really Tom who kind of blew up the idea and made it a lot bigger. I had in mind a smaller book of 20, 25 essays. And, and Tom said, let's just make this really as big and as broad and as wide as we possibly can. And uh, his goal was for 100 essays. I think we topped out at somewhere around 110. Okay. All right. Man, that's that's awesome, though. And and I love that it's not just, uh, you know, not not to not to disparage this, but it's not just white Americans. You know, <laughs> it's 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 people from all over the world, from all races, uh, from different. And, and it really comes out when I'm reading the essays, some of it because I have been uh, to Africa and Nairobi and African Nazarene University. And I know a few of the contributors from even Africa and I know some of their context. It was so great reading about. Um, their context, you know, and yeah. what it means that what what American holiness looks like is just not going to work here. You know, it doesn't it doesn't look that way here. We have to make accommodations for that, and uh, and that's a Samantha Chambo, uh, the regional director's wife, Phil, Philomel Chambo's wife, Samantha Chambo, who's a theologian in her own right, wrote wrote a beautiful essay on that on uh, uh, developing indigenous African theologies of holiness. Mm. Uh, she she wrote, uh, if I remember correctly, especially about the, uh, I think it's the Swahili term Ubuntu, which mm -hmm. is roughly parallel to the, the Hebrew term Shalom, and, and how that Ubuntu or togetherness and, and peaceful togetherness cre offers an image of holiness. Mm. So yeah, that was, that was tremendous yeah. seeing how that would play out. Yeah, oh yeah, I remember reading that one and it was just, uh, it was really great. Um, and and I, I love that. I think that's so important because there, there is a sense in which sometimes in this country we, we become very myopic and we, we can just think like, oh, this one experience that I've had, that's the only way there is to think about it. And I love getting a worldview because we really need to ask, you know, if, if it is truth, it's going to be 
um, a truth that is universal. And sometimes the reason things don't always translate well is sometimes they're based on maybe a false assumption about the gospel in the first place, too. And uh, and I think that we're we're seeing some of that come through with, with some of the things people are writing about and trying to correct some of the holiness, um, maybe errors that have been made in theology and things. And uh, one thing I'd love to do, I'm, I'm going to read just kind of a few quotes, and maybe if any thoughts come to mind as I read these, you can just have some comment on them. I, I've been racking my brains trying to think of the best way to talk about a book with a hundred plus authors so um so and because they really are i was telling my wife last night as i'm i'm still haven't quite finished it i'm still trying to get through and i said you know it's sort of like um because each author is so unique they're all very good but it's not like you're just reading one person's book and you kind of get into the mindset of that one person and you keep reading. I feel like I kind of have to reboot after each essay, you know, because you have a different person and a different perspective. So yeah. so I'll just kind of let you make some comments. But uh, but here are a few that were really standing out to me as I was reading. Uh, Emily Jo Haynes, uh, or, sorry, Emily Joanne Haynes. And by the way, uh, to the listeners, I've been posting little snippets of these on my Facebook page at, at uh, facebook.com slash Rick Lee James, um, and uh, just just little excerpts that, that have been speaking to me just to kind of give a preview because I'm encouraging people to order this book. Um, Emily Jo Haynes um, said something that was just awesome. She says, I dare you to name something that doesn't matter to God. Christians have lived for long enough thinking evil thoughts like, that is not God's work, or this world is only temporary, we don't need to save it. And what I do won't make a difference. These are not things Jesus would have said. And I I love that. What a powerful statement. These are not things Jesus would have said. And uh, you have any thoughts or comments about that? Yeah, it's interesting that you would pick that one to start with because I just today I I I wrote an, a reply back to J.K. Warwick. He and I have been dialoguing about this project since probably. March or, or or somewhere along in there, and uh, we started. I uh, the last thing he sent me was a, a grid by Ron Benefield, former president of NTS mm-hmm. and now uh, chair of the uh, the Department of Theology at Point Loma. And the grid was uh, how. Uh, all of the, the it's called language of holiness, and on down one side it has different aspects of holiness, and then on the other side uh, it has a different how it's talked about in different ways in verse in terms of purity, in terms of power, in terms of love, in terms of community, and there's something like 15 different rows, and then the four columns. And I said, holy cow, that's 60 data points <laughs> uh, in thinking about the languages of holiness. Right. You know, all of these different ways of talking about it. And I said, on, on one hand, that's overwhelming. How can we possibly synthesize this, which is not, it's not an exhaustive list. Yeah. You know, like we could go on and on and on. How, how, could we, how can we synthesize this into a, a single simplistic statement of, or not simplistic, but simple statement of this is what holiness means hmm. because it's it's so so vast and so complex. And then, but on the other hand, it's actually kind of encouraging because the complexity is rooted in the fact that holiness is holistic. Hmm. That's what Emily was getting at. Holiness has to do with everything, yeah. and a few of our authors talk about this. the 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 message of holiness is that God is redeeming everything. And everyone, everywhere, mm-hmm. there there is nothing that is left out of God's plan of redemption. So it makes sense that when we try to talk about it in detail, we end up with a chart with sixty data points. You know, like yeah. that it's it, it touches everything, every part of the human experience, the uh, psychological, social, mental, emotional, uh, relational, every part of creation, human, non-human. Uh, plants, animals, all of this is involved in God's plan of holiness or redemption of the universe. And and so on that side, we kind of come through the complexity to another side of simplicity of 
holiness mm-hmm. is God is about God redeeming everything. Hmm. Amen. Yeah. Okay. Good All right. So now we have something that we can work with and understand. We're going to disagree and debate and talk about the the details. Yeah. I think we can all agree that that the whole point is that God's shalom, God's restoration project, encompasses everything. Sure. Yeah. What a fantastic way to look at that. That, that or or maybe even to just use Revelation language. That, Behold, I make all things new. You know, and yeah. they, they'll hide it. What what a beautiful way to put it. So. Um, Another thing that stands out, and I I told him uh, he's one of my buddies, and uh, just recently started pastoring in Texas. But J J R Foresteros, he's actually been on this podcast a couple times, and um, he wrote a great essay about uh, I forget the title, something about Dexter, and uh, I can't I I wish I could remember the title, but he's talking about blogging about season six of the, of the TV show Dexter, and he said it's uh, a contagious holiness, Jesus Dexter. And Walter White at the Super Bowl. Right, right. That's right. Uh, that, that's what a great title. But Jr. is one that uh, really engages culture, and he wrote a chapter that's uh, about. Um, I guess it's sort of uh, the idea, of maybe of a corrective. Uh, that for so long we've had this idea that holiness means retreating and running away and putting up a wall from the world, and uh, and the holiness, in his view, and I, I believe correctly, uh, biblically even, is that we are to actually engage with the world and speak to the world where the world is at, and um, and it was really. Uh, great to to read some of his reflections when when people were challenging him as a pastor say well can you watch Dexter as a pastor and and uh, and and there's something he points out about holiness and I'll just want to read quickly uh, like a, a paragraph and a sentence uh, from from his part uh, he's talking about like the special rules that the Nazarene Church has in the manual and and or what what is now called the code of Christian conduct. Um, a title I'm not crazy about because it makes it sound like you're you're not a Christian if you you know don't agree wholeheartedly on all these points. But um, well, I'll tell you another reason why I don't like that title is conduct was by, across the board my worst grades throughout elementary school. <laughs> That's true. Very very good point. I always so. got B's and C's in conduct. <laughs> Well, um, what Jr. says when he's talking about that, and it's not just the Nazarene Church, I might add. I, I think there's a lot of benefit to anyone in this conversation because every church seems to have these rules, you know, that you have that you don't break. But uh, he says the parallels to contemporary holiness communities are striking, and, and he's speaking up a Pharisaical mindset before this. And he says in the Church of the Nazarene, many of our historic special rules in parentheses, now called the Code of Christian Conduct, revolve not around embodying fruit of the spirit but abstaining from drinking dancing the circus etc we imagine our church buildings to be latter-day temples protecting the people of god when we retreat from the unclean world those who are unclean sinners are kept outside the church at arm's length an observer of our holiness churches is likely to conclude that holiness is a precious, precarious quality that must be protected and preserved from contamination. And here's the great question. But, is holiness really so fragile? Jesus' own example indicates the answer is no. And I really love that. I think that's an awesome thing to say. I think we have been... Uh, maybe fragile with our understanding of holiness for too long, and so we've used it as a way to keep the world out rather than to engage. So, uh, qu- quickly, your thoughts on that? Well, I think we've tried to. There's a phrase that has been a, a key part of kind of our our ethics and our ethos, and that's to be above reproach. I. Uh, and that that comes some from some biblical language. Don't even uh, have a hint of immorality, uh, but we've applied it in the sense of don't even get close to sinful people mm-hmm. or or settings in which sin is happening. Right. And so, first of all, that's a fallacious viewpoint uh, because that assumes that sin is not happening in us hmm. or around us in the church. Uh, that uh, that assumes that we aren't actually being judgmental 
unhealthily as we engage this process of determining where it's safe for us to be uh, and all kinds of other things. That's a whole other topic, how, much, how sin functions in the church. But it's also problematic because that doesn't at all come close to Jesus' example for us. Right. I, I mean, I, he, he was he spent all the time that he could. Well, not, you know, he spent a lot of time with just the disciples. But he was also frequently in the equivalent of bars and taverns, hmm. you know, the homes of uh, tax collectors and and hung out with, he was a friend of, of prostitutes and sinners and uh, was called a drunkard and a glutton. Uh, he didn't have a problem at all with hanging out with disreputable people. I mean, right there in his, uh, in his 12, you had a, a tax collector, Matthew. Uh, you had a zealot, a, a, basically a terrorist. Uh, and I... Fisherman who probably would have been uh, something equivalent to, in our community, in my personal community, the rough mill, the very tattooed mill worker of the day with very bad language. Uh, those would have been the the people that were in his group. I mean, he also had he had others. He had a cross section, but I, I think we we get this hyper uh, churchified view of Jesus yeah. that looks very much like a good religious person of the 1950s. Hmm. And it's not very much like uh, the Jesus that we see in the biblical story. Uh, so I, I don't know if this is a, an ex a fair example, uh, but I'll give you, I'll just tell you how, how our church, how few people in my circle are trying to work this out. So I, we're starting, my, my wife and I are starting a missional community for young adults, and we've got a game night coming up. And so we said, well, what game are we going to play? Uh, and they said, I don't know. I mean, what about this and what about that? And I said, well, what games do you guys play? And uh, this kind of newly churched couple said, uh, well, we really like playing Cards Against Humanity. And that's really fun, but really inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so if you know anything about it, it's, it's a game that kind of – it it raises a lot of hilarity and puts people in awkward situations. And yeah, there's some stuff. It talks about stuff that is inappropriate. Um, and that, uh, some of the areas that it goes to are places maybe Christians shouldn't go. Um, so then we had this dialogue and it turns out almost all of the young adults in this missional community already play cards against humanity on their own or with their families. Uh, <laughs> And friends, but none of them were comfortable playing it in a group that was associated with the church. Hmm. And we said, "Well, what's up with that?" And one of them said, "Well, it's kind of like Jesus watches you harder when you're at a church function." <laughs> <laughs> we're like, "Wait, wait, wait!" So if we all play this and we all think it's fun, but but the only reason we don't want to play it at this game night for our missional community is that it's a church function. That's a really stupid reason. Hmm. <laughs> Either we can deal with this with discernment as mature adults, or we shouldn't play it at all. Right. Okay, so we've decided we can handle playing this with discernment. Okay, we can handle playing it with as Christians with discernment. And so I don't know if we'll end up playing it as a group or not. That's gonna that, that game night's coming in a couple of weeks. But the discussion we'll have is this is a, a major part of our culture right now. I mean, this game has sold millions of copies. Uh, people are playing it all over the place. Can we, as a Christian group, engage this part of very secular culture with discernment? I mean, you know, maybe we'll have some house rules, like uh, if you don't like the card, if you think it's inappropriate or uh, uncomfortable for you or might be uncomfortable for others, discard it and get a new card. Sure. Uh, but my guess is at some point over the next few months, we'll play it yeah. because it's part of our culture. And part of the mission of this missional community is to attract to, to build relationships with people who don't go to church. Mm -hmm. And playing Cards Against Humanity will get them excited. Yeah, yeah. and uh, it's interesting. You you know, we talk about things like that, and, and uh, I, I was just recently on a, a, another podcast discussing a, a film that I'm sure none of our churches would show uh, called Calvary not too long ago. And, um, and this film is, uh, for, for lack of a better term, it's... It's a film that is an assault on your morals for about two hours <laughs> as you're watching it, because it's uh, 
it's dealing with a lot of the same issues that Jesus came to earth and and died for you know it's a very human uh film that that deals with redemption and 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 the seriousness of sin i guess i would put it and and um it was just interesting in the course of our conversation because it isn't it isn't something i would recommend to just anyone and i i made a joke i said i probably wouldn't watch this with my mom you know <laughs> because of <laughs> the way this is or or i wouldn't recommend it to children or teens that you know it was certainly a maturity level that needs to be there i said but, but i said isn't it interesting that in the church we tend to water down things so much to the point that it's unhelpful and like like we may show a film like I, I I don't know heaven is for real or something which which was completely forgettable in my opinion and I you know I walked out scratching my head thinking what was the point of that and then um, I watch a film like Calvary which is an R-rated film but made me think and pray differently for weeks afterwards <laughs> and uh, and and it was so it's such a hard movie to watch but it kind of became like I think that's going to be my my holy week film to watch every year because it's such a, a an amazing um example of this kind of things jesus died for you know and and the, the and so it's just it's an interesting thing i guess all it is to say when you're talking about this game or you're talking about other things it's interesting how we've we've so retreated and stopped engaging and and we've so sanitized um humanity so to speak that as christians we don't want to accept that sin is sinful um even when we tell the story about needing to be saved from sin like the movie calvary i i think is trying to do because it's showing sin in all its dirtiness um we usually want to show a cleaned up version of sin <laughs> before before we'll talk about it and, and we go no sin is nasty stuff and that's the point we need to we need to help the world who's trapped in this understand that there is freedom from it but until we're willing to honestly deal with it, it it's going to be a difficult task but that may be a little bit off point but it just kind of came to my mind as, as i was hearing you you know discuss about this game night and stuff and so very interesting stuff that you know holiness is a very engaging thing i believe for sure that the the church needs to be a part of well let's well, I, oh sorry i think just one more point on that i think what kind of jr's premise is i uh, as christians we ought to have a sense of security and confidence in God's grace. Mm. Uh, we are we are not at danger. We are not at mortal danger of being being tainted mm. simply by engaging the world around us. Right. Exactly. That. Uh, and if so, that's a problem, and we have a serious weak, spiritual weakness we need to deal with. Right. And and maybe this would be a good time actually for me to read this quote real fast that uh, it kind of goes along with our conversation and this was written by uh, Megan Krebs and uh, in her essay she writes uh, about the heritage of the Church of the Nazarene and she says steeped in such a brilliant heritage it only seems natural that the origin story of the Church of the Nazarene began in the dirty slums of Los Angeles. There between addicts, the poor, and others in desperate need, holiness again became about loving and seeking out the other. People committed to holiness again realized that those made in the image of God must reflect God's nature, love. Love seeks out the broken and dirty. And then skipping a bit in her essay, she says basically that holiness, however, is, has descended from the transforming work of God into primarily avoiding sin. We don't drink, we don't cuss or chew, and we don't go with girls that do. Uh, movie theaters and dance halls were viewed as dens of debauchery to be avoided rather than a mission field full of people who were attempting to fill the void. And I, I thought that was a beautiful way to say that because, uh, again, it's this idea of retreating versus engaging and the, the yeah. idea that we're looking at others as enemies instead of those who are fellow brothers and sisters who need savings <laughs> you know it's 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 a totally different mindset but unfortunately that is sometimes what the church has has found itself it, with very good intentions um i think it's kind of emptied itself of its power in some ways because uh with, with the best of intentions and in trying to seek after holiness and love has actually at times done a very unloving thing and turned its back on the world it's trying to love yeah yeah, I, 
that comes back to the idea of being trying to be above reproach, but in the meanwhile, I in that process of trying to to be above sin, we consider ourselves better than others who have sins that we consider worse than ours. Mm, right. I it, it's a. Uh, Yeah, I think we're in this process of of learning how to be, re-engage, learning how to be missionaries again to our own culture, sure. and 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 from a perspective of humility, yeah, uh, not from a perspective of imperialism, uh, but but just let's let's figure this out together, and and part of that is listening to the critique of the people who have left or or uh, rejected the church and the gospel as we've presented it, there's a lot of very valuable critique we can hear from those people. And and just beginning that listening process is a step in evangelism. Yeah. Oh, very true. Very true. And, and you, you know, it's interesting. Here I am on a podcast where I blab all the time, but uh, <laughs> I it's, it is interesting. There's so much more can be done when I listen than when I speak. And um, yeah, this is uh, there's so much food for thought in this book. And well, well, I want to I want to be sensitive of the time, and so we probably ought to wrap this up fairly soon. But I just want to share a couple more quotes, and then I want to give people a chance to ha- to know where they can order and pre-order this book uh, today. Uh, but just a couple more quotes come to mind. If you have any more comment you want to share, and we can kind of wrap up the conversation, but. Um, Sadrick Nelson of Haiti had had a very great essay. Uh, let's face it, everything I've read is fantastic in this book, so I, I, I really don't have a bad thing to say about any of it. Um, but he, he said something that stood out. Holiness does not start with the individual, but with the created order itself. It does not start with the personal, but with the communal and, and the social uh, it is not simply an individual experience, but a social and communal reality. And uh, I, I, again, I think that's one side of what holiness is that we have so neglected because we have so made it about the individual and the individual experience. We forget that holiness, as he says, is about the created order. It's about all things being redeemed and all things being made new. And then to, just to jump forward quickly, I believe it was uh, was Hank Spaulding. Um, who wrote in the book, uh, he also, he said something very similar but about uh, the Lord's Supper and, and the table. Partaking in the body of Christ is essential to the Wesleyan imagination of holiness. It is the lens through which we view the rest of creation and it initiates us into the works of mercy. If we use the Wesleyan phrase, uh, make all you can't, well, and, and he, he goes on with some other things I wasn't going to get into right now, but uh, but just the whole idea, I, I, I feel it again and again from each of these writers, the need for a communal holiness that is really is so much stronger and, and has been lacking. I'm, I'm just getting a lot of hope and encouragement as I read from so many other people who are coming to this understanding um, of the need for the body of Christ, not just for not just for well maybe for lack of a better term just a personal relationship um which is kind of that kind of language has kind of gotten us into the mess we're in where it's like me and jesus have our own thing and i don't need church and and i don't think we realize that in our circles using sometimes that language like a personal relationship almost makes it seem like it's a private thing that's nobody's business but mine. And and the attitude really needs to change to where we understand this partaking in the body of Christ. So uh, any any further thoughts on that matter as we start to kind of wrap up the conversation today? Yeah, well, this, I mean, this just hits exactly what I'm working on today. Uh, Sunday I'll be preaching on the first half of Ephesians 3, and uh, Paul starts to launch into this great prayer about love. And then he says, wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me just make sure you know what my calling is. My calling is to uh, help develop a community of, uh, of diverse peoples, Jews and Gentiles, called together to actually embody the good news that Jesus offers grace to us all equally. Hmm. For the redemption of the entire world, mm. let's let's like he he just has this moment of 
in the middle, almost in the center of the book of Ephesians. Time out, everybody. Let's make sure we understand what's happening at this epoch in history. Mm-hmm. We are creating a new community where people who have been enemies are united as brothers and sisters. And it's this community itself that bears and represents, embodies, demonstrates the good news. Mm. You cannot have the good news without the community of good news. Mm. That's... And, and, and so that's, I think that's just tremendous. And, and I, I was, and part of my research, I'm reading N.T. Wright's book, Paul, and, and he talks about how uh, with postmodernity, postmodernity offered us this critique of modernity's hyper individualism and hyper confidence uh, in our own ability to understand the world and to craft and create the world. And so postmodernity says, wait, that's, that's arrogant and that's jacked. Mm, right. <laughs> we need to slow down and we need uh, something different. But postmodernity doesn't actually offer us something different. It just says modernity's wrong. Mm. And so N.T. Wright says, we as the church have this opportunity to create a new way forward that the world is actually longing for. We, we get to plow new ground. It's like uh, postmodernity was the earthquake that leveled all our theological constructs, mm. all our logical constructs, and said the way that we have been, our, our framework for thinking about things and life is faulty is wrong but we don't have a new framework to offer Hmm. well so the church gets to step into this and start crafting new and say to the world around us here's a new house a new way of thinking that actually works in this new uh earthquake blasted landscape come on and help us craft this together wow man that's that's incredible and I, you know, I think about again. Come on and craft this together. Maybe that's the best way to describe this book too. And I, I think that's some of the power of it. You know, the whole idea that this isn't just one voice. This is a a communal thing that the church has done together. And and uh, I, I'll, I'll just be honest. I've said that the word hope numerous times, but I I feel a renewed hope for the denomination of the Church of the Nazarene more than I have in quite some time. Uh, at, at times I feel a bit like an island when you know when you're in a local church and you, you're not sure exactly if you know some of the things you're thinking is like am, am I crazy am I the only one that feels this way and so uh, I think this book is is going to be such a help and maybe such an eye opener I'm I'm really encouraged to hear that there's even a study guide with it that's going to be available because I think that as much as anything could be such a great conversation starter for the church because I. I I I would agree with uh, what many of the authors in the book have said that holiness is just not a topic that's even discussed anymore, and um, and so it, any way for us to get that back in the conversation and um, and ultimately to be changed by God together, I think is a wonderful thing. So as we close out today, I wanna I wanna point everyone to this website. It's uh, renovatingholiness.com. And uh, listeners, you can go there today and actually pre-order copies of this book. And I would think this would be of special interest if you're a pastor um, or or maybe a Sunday school superintendent, or, um, because you actually can order bulk copies on there at a at a, a much discounted rate. And I think it's going to be a really helpful tool for your churches. And even if you're not in the Church of the Nazarene, I think you're going to find the conversation very helpful because I do a lot of work. Uh, outside of our denomination, and uh, and I can tell you, um, in the Presbyterian circles, in Baptist, in uh, you name it, Catholic, all sorts of different circles that I minister in uh, when I'm not in my local church setting on a Sunday morning, um, they are all confronting these exact same issues. They may not call it the exact same thing we call it, and and they don't have maybe the exact same language, but these are issues that I think are felt. Um, broadly and uh, and and in many ways outside of our denomination. Um, so I would encourage all listeners. Uh, what else am I missing, uh, Josh? That I should should be telling everybody about this project. Uh, well, just one one short thing on the bulk orders. If anybody wants to buy a large group, you have, you have a big church, you want to do a whole, a big group study, or uh, if a DS wants to get a whole bunch of copies for their pastors. 
we can uh, do even even more discounted bulk orders for that. Uh, and then I, the other thing I would just say is a, just a massive thank you to all the contributors. Uh, this this is built on the backs of the 110 contributors who spent their time bringing their voice to bear on on this conversation. And uh, like you, I'm I'm hopeful that that this will help us take a step forward in acknowledging, all right, we have some work to do, uh, but we have the people who are willing to do the work. Mm -hmm. And uh, I hope this will allow us uh, to, that this will be a larger conversation starter. The conversation's already starting. It's already happening. I know in smaller circles, even in smaller official circles, the conversation's happening. But my hope is that this will broaden the conversation uh, much, much wider and bring in a whole lot more people into the conversation of how do we renovate, how do we rethink our doctrines of holiness and sanctification. Mm-hmm. Amen. So join the conversation. That's 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 the takeaway is is read some and, and then talk about it. Talk about it with the people in your church. Talk about it on Facebook or Twitter or whatever your social media uh, platform is. And, and let's just all think about this and talk about this openly. Yeah, definitely. And uh, and I have pre-ordered several copies of this myself so I can give them away and uh, be listening in the coming days, Voices in My Head podcast listener, because I am planning on giving away uh, a fresh new copy of Renovating Holiness whenever it comes out. So we'll have some details on how you can go about winning a copy of that. Uh, but I just want to say thank you again, Josh, and, and I hope you can extend my thanks along to Thomas Ord as well. Sure. Uh, you guys have done an amazing job job of compiling and it's hard to it's hard to work with so many people and then you're doing it long distance and over email um and and just all that you have going on and i i I know it's probably seems like a thankless task so i just want to take a minute to thank you on behalf of so many of us that are going to benefit from this so thank you so much well thanks rick i i appreciate it like i said it's been an honor well and uh josh brower that's it for today thank you for being one of the voices in my head this week You've been listening to Voices in My Head, the official podcast of Rick Lee James. If you'd like to know more about me, my ministry, my music, my life, go to my website at rickleejames.com. And I'd love this to be a community experience, so if you call 937-505-0162, you can leave feedback, you can give me suggestions for future shows, you can even record comments that I can play on the next podcast. So let's make this something really great together. 937-505-0162. Thank you so much for listening to Voices in My Head, the official Rick Lee James podcast. God bless.